I am so glad that you are at this service and not the first service because I had a frog in my throat the whole time, never quite got it all out, so I'm trying to make sure it doesn't happen again. If you have uh, seen this little card with the communion, please fill that out for us or, or hit that QR code and that helps us so much in the office. This morning we are continuing on as we talk about unsung heroes, and we're going to do this for a few weeks of people in the Bible, sometimes that are looked over. Now, if you are one that you know the Bible well, you probably know all the characters and the main ones and the, and the uh, minor ones and all the others, but for some of us, maybe that we don't read the Bible nearly as much or we're new to faith, there are lots of folks in there that are mentioned that we don't know much about. And so today we're going to talk about the first European Christian as far as we know. And that's what this person is always kind of labeled with. Even if you go to Wikipedia, what you get is the first European Christian. Now you're not going to have to wait very long. You don't have to Google it because you'll find out in about three or four minutes who that is if you don't already know. But first there's a backstory that you need to know about. And it comes to who was known probably as the most well-known of all the missionaries, Paul. And Paul and had another missionary that he traveled with named Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas did great things. They went on a missionary journey, a missionary trip together, converted lots of people, started congregations, went through, kind of, uh, through lots of persecution together. But they also had one of Barnabas' relatives with them, John Mark. And for whatever reason, Paul and John Mark didn't see everything alike. John Mark left, went home, and so finally that missionary trip was over. Paul and Barnabas get back, and they start thinking about a second trip. And somewhere along the line, it must have been that Barnabas said, well, we'll take John Mark too. And Paul said, hold your horses, we are not taking John Mark. And so all at once there was a rift between these two missionaries, and obviously it was a problem because they decided not to go together. Sometimes even among Christians, even among evangelists or missionaries, sometimes there are issues. Now there was something good that came out of that, that Barnabas went and he helped people, and Paul went and he helped people, and they went another direction, neither lost their faith. And at the end, you find out, if you don't know already, that they do reconcile. But Paul was going to have to think about going somewhere different than he had planned originally. And so he starts thinking, and in Acts 16, in verses 6 through 10, the Bible says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, this is Paul and Silas, another missionary, and Luke and some others. And so they went to the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so you might say, okay, we're kind of in the middle of a story. What's happening there? This is Paul, and now his partner Silas, missionary partner, trying to decide where they're going to go. And so they have some ideas in their head. They may have prayed about those ideas. Surely they did. But then all at once you see that the Holy Spirit has said, you're not going that direction. Later on it calls it the Spirit of Jesus and says, you're not going to go that way. 
That must have been kind of confusing, wouldn't you think? I mean, after all, there are lost people over there. We need to go share the gospel. We need to tell them, and for whatever reason, the Spirit is saying, not now. That is not what you're going to do. And then one night or maybe one afternoon, Paul takes a nap, and all at once he has this vision, has this dream, and here's this man from Macedonia saying, come to Macedonia, we need help here. And so Paul and the missionaries will take off. Well, here's kind of where we get into this story today, that sometimes God may have a different plan than we have. It may be hard for us to even comprehend why God would have a plan that is different than the perfectly wonderful great plan we have that isn't one that seems it's against God but it's even one in the name of God but God may have something decided differently than what we imagine now I think many times what God is really mostly interested in is that we be faithful in whatever we choose but there are also obviously times where God has said to Paul and Silas here That is not the direction I want you to go. I want you to go a different direction. And so Paul has this dream, and he takes it that this dream is from God, that we need to go to Macedonia. So God sometimes has different plans than what we had had thought, because Paul had a soul that was waiting on him in Macedonia. Today I'll sharing a couple of little Brazil stories with you from our time as missionaries there years ago. And, and I'll never forget when we decided to leave there, we literally went to every church member and told them we were leaving. Because we had so many of those folks, we were on a team, but so many of those folks we had baptized, we had prayed with them, we had cried with them, we had been there, we had been there in their difficult times as their faith was growing, and we had a really, really strong bond with those folks in that little church where we worked and planted. And I'll never forget one man that I thought it was going to be the most difficult thing in the world to tell him that we were leaving because I thought he would be so upset. And I remember telling him and he said, there must be someone waiting for you in the United States that needs your help. There's someone there. I'm okay with this because I know someone needs you. Well, I just, yeah, I'm I'm sure that's right, yeah. And so, I listened and and kind of went in one ear and out the other, and and we moved back, back a couple of months later. And so there was a congregation where we were going to go work, and we weren't there on Sunday morning. We were still traveling, but I was coming in. We were coming in on a Sunday afternoon, and I was going to preach on Sunday night in this place where we were going to live. And I get up, and I preach. And while I'm preaching, I can see a couple about two-thirds of the way back, and they are just grinning ear to ear. And I have no idea why they're grinning, but I, can, and I'm, I don't recognize them. And so, anyway, so I preach the sermon, we finish, I do the preacher thing, go out in the foyer, and everybody walks by, and here comes this couple, and all at once I start realizing that I recognize them, and they had been really good friends of ours in college, but life had been kind of rough, and didn't know all that had happened if there had been an auto accident and they hadn't been to church in two years and they went on Sunday morning to that congregation saying hey we're just going to try it out and said we looked on the bulletin and your name was down to preach on Sunday night and so we thought we would come and hear you preach and here we are and then we bought a house and we had no idea but we bought a house on the same block as they lived on and it wasn't long until that guy who had been, they had been away for a while, 
was a deacon in that congregation. And I couldn't help but think about what that man had said in Brazil about somebody needs you. I thought that was silliness. But just maybe there was something to that. Maybe there was something to that. Wherever we are, as the old thing says, grow wherever you're planted, right? So wherever you are, do that. But somehow, now Paul hears this vision, sees this dream. I didn't have anything like that. But he has this dream, go to Macedonia. And in Acts 16, verses 11 and 12, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city for some days. I have to wonder what Paul and the others are doing as they're on this trip. Okay, there's going to be someone in Macedonia or along the way to Macedonia that I need to preach to, that I need to share the faith with, that God has opened their heart and they're going to be baptized and they're going to become a Christian and they're going to be devoted to Jesus forever. So they just take off, which makes me think about my life. What am I supposed to do when I don't know what to do? You ever been there? You get there, you just don't know. What am I supposed to do? I don't know because life is, life is taking me this way and that way, and, and I just I don't know what the right thing to do. Sometimes it's a decision about where to go or not go, and sometimes it's a job to take or not take, and, and all these things get us, don't they, sometimes? I remember when we were talking about coming here 15 years ago, sitting in my friend's office and saying, I don't know what God wants me to do. Does he want us to stay here? Does he want us to go? What do I do? What do I do? And he said then, he said to me, he said, maybe God just wants you to be faithful wherever you are, which that was really some of the best advice I'd ever heard. Be faithful wherever you are. So really what it comes down to is when we don't know what to do, just keep sailing. Keep sailing. And trust God when you're sailing. When you're really not exactly sure where you're going, trust him anyway. Samothrace was just a small place, rugged hills, and, and, and granite comes from there, and there was just a little fishing village there when Paul was there. There's still just kind of little fishing villages there today. And so I wonder if he thought, I wonder if one of these fishermen are the people or the, the man from the dream. I wonder if this is who it is. But it wasn't. And so then they go on to Neapolis. Neapolis is, is, has a different name now, but it's still the, the city's still there. The city had been there for hundreds of years when Paul went there. And so I wonder if he thought, it must be Neapolis, this city that is part of Macedonia. I'm here now. But it wasn't someone in Neapolis. So I wonder what God wanted. So I guess I'll just keep traveling and go to this major city of Philippi and see if that's where it is. Now, you remember that Paul always, whenever he went to a new city, started out in the synagogue to the Jews first and then to the, then to the Gentiles. So he'd go to the Jews and he would, he would preach, and usually they would kick him out because of the things he would say about Jesus. But he always started there with the Jews. And so, you know, cities would have many synagogues. All you needed were ten men in a city, ten Jewish men to have a synagogue. And so he would always find a synagogue. Sometimes they were much larger, but he would find one and he would go to it. So I want you to see what happens to Paul in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. 
And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Well, you remember where you would always find those Jewish folks in the synagogues, and you'd always go there and preach, and while it always kind of end kind of bad, the good thing was there were people there of his culture, Jewish people at least kind of knew the culture, and they believed in the Torah, and believed in the Old Testament, and believed in God. But if you had no synagogues in your city, you were to go worship at the closest running water. And so what he's telling us here is there are no synagogues, not many Jewish people at all, not even ten Jewish men in the city of Philippi. So now what he is, he's, he's out by the water and it appears there are not even any men there. It just says there are women who are worshiping out by the river. This is actually a picture from that river that runs by Philippi. And so the women are worshiping by the river. You know, I love what it says about Lydia and about what it explains about her that she was open, but Paul was also open to something that was unexpected. Paul is open. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, that dream that he had to get him to Macedonia was from a man that said, come to Macedonia. But when he gets there, it's not going, there's not going to be even a single man there. It's going to be a woman named Lydia who's going to have the open heart, who's going to be there to listen that we're really going to talk about here in a minute. You know, I love Lydia because of this heart that she has that's open. She is the one who is known, as the, in the, if you're playing Bible trivia, as the first European Christian. And so I love her heart that she's open to hear. I read an old preacher story. You know those old preacher stories. And, but they make me laugh. They don't make you laugh, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The first crowd didn't laugh, so you don't have to either. So, but I read an old preacher story that was about a man, he, a preacher, he was so frustrated, he would preach his heart out, and the audience would not respond. Nobody would come forward, nobody baptized, nobody asked for prayer, nothing. And he says to his wife, he says, I'm so frustrated, that sermon was so clear, I gave it to him, ABC. And she said, don't you understand, your audience is DEF. So, oh, okay, that's like 14 times bigger than early service, okay, on the laugh. But Lydia is one of those wonderful hearts that's open to know Jesus and open to say, Paul, tell me more about what you're saying. Well, I want you to see Acts chapter 16, verse 15. The Bible says, with Luke writing here, after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She kept saying it over and over, stay at my house, stay at my house. And you can imagine, she's got Paul and Silas and Luke and other folks that are along with them, and they're like, well, okay. So they go over to her house, and you, you know the whole time, we don't want to be a burden. You know, you're no burden at all. You can imagine the conversation that goes back and forth. But she is so thankful. She has found Jesus. She has been baptized. She's a believer. She's a follower of Christ. And she's so thankful for these men who have come from far away to teach her the good news of Jesus. And so now she shares what she has with them. Now, this may not be too important to you, but I think it is for us in just a moment. Maybe you'll see that it appears that Lydia was probably a wealthy woman. 
Sometimes we talk about how important the gospel is for the poor, and it absolutely is. It is, poor, it is important for those who are poor, for those who are in the middle, and for those who are of what we would call an upper economic class. It's important for all of us. But I think it's important that we understand that the Bible, the gospel, Jesus, is even for the wealthy because we would probably, in almost every other country, every one of us, be classified as wealthy wherever we put ourselves. We are wealthy people. In those days, going back to Brazil, we lived on the 11th story of a building, and straight across the street from us was a mountain, a hill. It wasn't tall enough to snow because you're in South America, for one thing. But the higher up you live on that hill, the less money you have. And so way up on those hills, straight across from our apartment, were people who lived in slums. And I mean little houses that, that were made from, from, from wood that they had found somewhere in many cases. And so I would remember as I was sitting at my little desk in our little, little office TV room, I would remember every time that I would put our bills away into one particular drawer. I had one drawer that was where we did, one drawer that was specifically for our car repair, car repair bills, which that crazy car broke down every month. It was car repair bills, our telephone bill, and the, the bill for the rent we would put into this drawer. Because that drawer, those things classified us officially as middle class in those days because we owned those things a phone and a place to stay and a car well the gospel is for everybody and it is about how do you use what God has given you and how do you share what God has shared with you what he has put you in 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 over what has made you responsible so you may say well well how do you know she was wealthy well for one thing she sold purple and purple was one of the most important, most expensive things you could buy. And so there was a whole process. I don't know if she made it. She sold it. She might have made it. But there was a whole process of making purple that dealt with, with um, ocean uh, sea, sna or sea snails. Of where you would take these sne sea Oh, she sold seashells by the seashore. And I'm not going to go into all this with you because it's kind of gross, but let's just say it's from the mucus of the sea snails, okay? And it was all made into purple. Well, that was hard to do and gross at the same time. And so Caesar would want to wear purple, right? And the generals, after a victory, when they'd go on parade, they would wear purple. And everybody wanted to wear purple because that's what royalty wears. Just like some of you are, follow those influencers on Instagram and you want to buy whatever they have. Well, Caesar was the influencer of the day, and so people wanted what he had. And so she sold this purple, and you could sell it for a lot of money. So she is probably a really wealthy woman, because of what she sells, there are other indicators that she traveled on business in a time that women were not considered to be the same as men. For example, women were not, they couldn't vote, they, they couldn't be a, a witness in a, in a, obviously couldn't vote, but they couldn't be a witness in a, in a trial. There was a little proverb, not part of the Bible, I don't mean that, but a little Jewish proverb that was said that was told about do not share the law with a woman it was only for 
men. And now you have this woman who seems to be a fairly wealthy woman. Maybe she's a widow. I don't, I don't know how she gets her money or how she got into the business she got into. But she has stuff. Not only does she have stuff, she has a house. And she has a house that is big enough to have guests come to. What's important is how you share what God has given you. Because after all, aren't we all just stewards of what God has put in, put in our accounts And so she is sharing and insisting on sharing what she has. Well, Lydia's example was fabulous. She was a believer in God before Paul ever got there. She believed in God. She was there. She didn't understand about Jesus, obviously. That would have been what Paul and Silas taught her. But she already is one that would talk about the one true God because of of how she's worshiping. And she was open to the gospel. You know, sometimes as we get older... Sometimes as we get wealthier, sometimes as we get more athletic, we decide we know everything. And the only person we're fooling whenever we act like we know everything is ourselves, right? And so it would have been very easy for her to have just said, you know, Paul, I bet I make more money than you do. You know, Paul, I bet I've, I've probably traveled as much as you have. Paul, you know, you don't know much about the purple industry, and that's what's in right now. And I do, but she was still open to the message of hearing about Jesus and even changing her heart. There is something really incredible about that that we want to be like. I remember a man several years ago said to me, he said, David, I'm 80 years old and I'm not going to change my mind on anything ever. Well, that is not the heart that God called us to, no matter what our age, no matter what our political affiliation, no matter what our what our, uh, our status is economically, no matter what country we're from. It's about us always being open and learning and being better than what we were before. Lydia was open to the gospel and she had a house that she brings people into and does so many good things. She believed in God and she showed hospitality. Now, hospitality doesn't always have to be in your house, but that is a good place to be hospitable. We often learn about people when we walk in their houses, don't we? And we see what they put on the walls and and pictures of their kids or, or diplomas or whatever it is. And we learn about a person when we're in a home. We see how they live. But there are also obviously modern day ways to be hospitable with people, go to a restaurant, just hang out at a park, whatever it is. But we want to be people that are hospitable like Lydia And then she stayed faithful when trouble came. And you're saying maybe, well, I didn't see any trouble in this. Well, in the passage that we left out here in Acts 16 that's often referred to and the part that people go straight to and for good reason is the story about when Paul and Silas are put in prison because of their faith and because of their preaching and healing, they're thrown in prison. And you remember that night there's a great earthquake. God, I guess, brings this earthquake on. And there's this great earthquake while Paul and Silas are singing in prison and the doors open. And none of the prisoners escape. And you remember the jailer is ready to die right there. And the jailer is going to take his life because the jailer has to take his life according to the Roman law. Because if one prisoner escapes, then the jailer dies. And you remember that Paul stopped him and said, and, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And he says, you remember, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, obviously that's not the whole story. What he's trying to do is literally talk him off the cliff there, right? Stop, put your sword up, put your sword up. Then they go to his house, 
They sit down. He cleans the wounds of Paul and Silas. And as soon as they're finished, they get up and the jailer and his family are baptized. I mean, wow, what a story. But I think about old Lydia. When she hears that Paul and Silas are put in prison, you know, she might have been nervous. Oh, no, what is this going to mean for my business? If I am associated with the group where they are arresting the preacher, I may want to disassociate myself from that. I may not want anything to do with it if I think I'm going to lose some money, I'm going to lose because I've already put a lot of money out buying this purple, and now, now I've got to pay back the people that I, that I purchased all this from, that I owe money to. It would have been easy for Lydia to say, no, 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 no. I don't want anything to do with you or with any of this. But you remember what the scripture said in verse 15. As soon as Paul and Silas were out of prison, they went straight back to Lydia's house, that Lydia was still faithful, that Lydia was still there. She didn't say, stay out, go away, I don't know you. She hadn't packed up and run back to Thyatira in the middle of the night. But sometimes we want to give up, don't we? Ever want to give up? Just quit? Sometimes it's just quit a job. Sometimes it's quit a marriage. Sometimes it's quit to quit uh, church, to quit the Lord. And just say we're done. I can remember a time when I was a little boy and sitting at home. And there was another family on our street. There were, there were members of our congregation, our little town. And they lived, they lived two or three houses just down our little hill. One morning there was a knock on the door. And I remember my dad was sitting in the living room. It was probably 8 o'clock in the morning. And there was a knock on the door, and it was the man from down the street. He was teaching the adult class for our VBS at night. We had it at night and had an adult class. He was teaching it. And my dad opens the door, and he hands him the, hands him the material from the class. And my dad said, what's this? And he said, I quit. And my dad's like, what do you mean? He goes, I quit. I'm not, and he said, you're not going to be the teacher? No, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm done. He's like, you can't do that. Yep, I just did it. And so then over the next several hours after I was sent outside to play, <laughs> boy, if I could have just been in there. Did they not know I was learning to be a preacher right then? No. But he talked him back, prayed with him back to deal with whatever was the issue at the time. Sometimes we just want to quit. We are tired and sometimes we don't sleep well, and that makes us frustrated, and it just makes life hard. We just want to give up. But you remember what to do when you don't know what to do. You keep sailing, and you trust God. You don't quit. You don't give up. There are times that maybe we have to need to change jobs or whatever, but we do that in the right way. Sometimes that maybe, maybe we change friend groups, but we do that in the right way way we don't give up on god we keep sailing with god so salvation went from her house to the entire continent of europe she's the first and from what we understand of of christianity it seems that it came to us from europe and many of us have more of a debt to owe to lydia maybe than we ever realized because she'd had an open heart, and she did not give up. And she was faithful and did what was right. Because of Lydia, that first little inroad into Europe, hundreds and thousands and millions of people came to know Christ. You know, Lydia being a woman who worked in the, in the uh, dying trade of, of purple, 
I have to think that she would have known Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, that talks about though your sins be as scarlet, as you can imagine what the hands of those that die, that made the die look like, though your hands be of scarlet. And Jesus said, and I will, or the Lord said, I will wash you as white as snow. How beautiful that is as to what God does. So here's my question. What am I doing to help people know Jesus? What am I doing? Not just in life and those things we've talked about, but I mean, when we start talking about sharing faith, what am I, what am I doing? Some of us think, well, I couldn't make a difference. What could I do? I don't know very many people. What could I do? And after all, have you seen how messed up my life is? How could I tell anybody else about Jesus? Well, because your life is messed up is probably the very reason you're the one to tell someone about Jesus. There's an old African proverb about making a difference that goes, if you think you're too small to make a difference, then spend the night in a closed room with a mosquito. And you'll know, right? I think about a a man by the name of Wells Crothers. And some of you have probably know his story because his story has been well documented. But Wells grew up in, in the northeast U.S. His father was a firefighter. Sometimes his dad would help him, took him to camps, to little junior firefighter camps. And he learned a lot of things there. But Wells, he had a, he had a knack for, for business and economy. And he, was a, he went to Boston College on a lacrosse scholarship. But when he was a little boy, his dad gave him a handkerchief, a red handkerchief. And so whenever they would dress up, he would wear a white handkerchief in his pocket, but his dad had this red one for him in his pocket, in in his pant pocket. His dad would say, the white white handkerchief is for show, and the red handkerchief is for blow, right? So you didn't get those mixed up. But Wells, instead of that, he just always kept it because it reminded him of his dad. And when he played lacrosse at, at Boston College, he would wear that bandana on his head underneath his helmet. Well, he got a job right out of school. 22 years old, he gets a job, and literally at the World Trade Center in New York. He was on the 104th floor at the World Trade Center. And the day, that September 1st day, an explosion hits the United Airlines plane, hits the building. He starts running for one, uh, uh, just through looking for people to save, and there was a woman by the name of June Ling, who was blown back from her desk. She didn't know, she didn't know Carruthers. And, and really, she said, I couldn't even really see him, except I could see a shadow come toward me, and it had on a red bandana. He had put that red bandana over his nose and his face as he came to try to keep out all the, the chemicals and the dust that were in the air. And he said to her, come with me. I can help you. I know where the stairs are. And he got her and he got a few other people and he led them down the stairs, down 17 flights of stairs until they met some firefighters. And he said, here you go, I'm going back for more. And he went back up and he got more people. Matter of fact, he ended up saving 12 people by getting them down the stairs and they would meet the firefighters and go down. But then he didn't make it himself. Matter of fact, when the building crashed, it was six months before they found his body. And there were other firefighters that were around him when they found his body. And they found his red bandana. Well, June Ling said in an interview that at her house, she has a picture of Wells Carruthers on the wall. Because she says, he saved my life. I am only alive because of what he did. He made a difference. 
He didn't get to see the difference, but he made a difference in the lives of 12 people, and you can imagine how different things are today. We were living in Oklahoma City after the Oklahoma City bombing, and the day that they opened the bombing memorial, I went down. I, just, I wanted to be there. I wanted to see it. I wanted to, 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 to share in the kind of that special moment with the city and with those that were there. And there's a wall there. It's made out of granite, and you can see the names of the survivors, and there's a wall there that tells those that perished. But at the survivor wall, and it had been four years or five years by the time they actually built the, the, the memorial, but at the survivor wall, I saw a family walk over, and the man said, here's my name, here's my name. And his wife went over, and she looked, and they laughed, and, you know, there it is. They were so excited. And they had a, a, they had a stroller for twins. The twins were probably six or eight months old. And I thought, if somehow he wouldn't have gotten out of that building, these little children wouldn't be here today. One person can make a difference. One person can make the whole world different. I am so thankful for the man who said to my dad, would you like to study the Bible with me? I wonder how many times that man had been turned down when people said no or he studied with them and they walked away. But he asked my dad and he changed my life because of that. We can make a difference. Lydia made a difference. We don't need to just sit back and say, oh boy, the world is just blown away and we're, we're, we can't keep up so we might as well quit. It's not what God called us to. Today, maybe you're ready to be baptized into Jesus and your sins washed away and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Become a part of his kingdom. Oh, wouldn't it be beautiful? We've had several baptized just recently. It's wonderful. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need prayer of the whole church. Well, we'll all pray for you. If you come forward, we'll all pray for you. You can write us also at elders at mcoc.org and tell us if it's public or private. And if it's public, we'll all pray. And if it's private, just the elders will be praying for you. We want to help each other because we're not going to give up. We're going to make a difference, not for ourselves, not just for our country. We're going to make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. Come this morning as we stand and sing.